Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Hey, well, I want to say a big welcome to everybody who is joining us online today. If you've never been to Bright Church, I'm so glad that you would tune in. I hope that you're doing well. I got to tell you, we are missing you, Bright Church, and uh, we are praying for you. And, and we're kind of getting a little bit excited too, because at the moment, you know, it just kind of feels like we're getting some freedoms back. It feels like we're sort of coming out of lockdown and it feels nice, you know. I, I know that one of the things that's been so difficult about going through this process in, in, you know, in Melbourne, where we've had some of the strictest lockdowns anywhere in the world is because we've had to learn, you know, how to, how to live without some things. And I don't know about you, but there are some things that I have missed more than others you know like uh, one of the things that I've missed has been going out and just getting a coffee and sitting down in a coffee shop with some friends and you know just being able to relax and do that I don't know what you've missed the most you know some of you might have missed going to the gym you know you, you, you miss going out being able to do a workout and it's great they're starting to open gyms up again and I mean, you've got to book yourself in and maybe you've got a, a very specific time that you're going to be able to do your workout. Don't spend any time on Facebook in the gym because you don't have time for that. You've got to work out. You've got to get it done. Maybe that's one of the things that you've missed. You know, I think that when, when we have things that are taken away from us, sometimes we handle it well, sometimes not so much. Some of you, I would say, are pretty reasonable. You guys are pretty normal, pretty seemingly reasonable people. But if we took the right thing away from you, I just don't know what would happen. I, I don't know what would happen if, say, we decided that we were just going to take away from you uh, Facebook. Let's say we took away your social media, um, you know, and, and you weren't able to have access. No no social media, no access to that anymore. I, I don't know what would happen to you. How would you handle that? Would you would you be cool about it? Or, or would something, you know, like something start to really emerge and come out of you? Imagine if it wasn't so much, you know, social media. What if this? What if for a period of time, we just took away from you the internet? You had no internet access. That means you've got no Netflix. There's no stand. There's no nothing. Uh, you can't do online shopping. What if you lost the internet? If you lost the internet, would you lose your cool? Like, how would you handle it? The truth is, is that sometimes we develop unhealthy attachments to things that we think we need. They've worked their way into our lives and we care about them so much. In fact, the truth is, Sometimes we care about them way too much. I want to preach a message to you guys today called Making Gods. You know, years ago, many, many years ago, the Hebrews were also coming out of lockdown. They had been in Egypt and they had been in slavery and locked down for a long time and they were coming out of lockdown and suddenly... Here is all of Israel, the, the Hebrews, as they're leaving, they have all of this freedom and they can do 
you know, all of these things and, you know, what will they give their energy to? What will they give their focus to and, and attention to? And, and God knew that these guys, because they were leaving, that they needed some guides. I mean, they had no idea how to do life when they weren't slaves. For all of the people that left Egypt, slavery was all they'd ever known. So now with all of their freedom, they need some guides to make sure that they're going to use their freedom to do the right things. And so God gives them these guides in, in something that we call the Ten Commandments. I know you know what it is. And I want to spend just a little bit of time today talking about the first two commandments that God gave to Israel when they suddenly emerged out of lockdown. And I want to read to you from Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. It says, You shall have no other gods before me. Just look at the person next to you and say, No other gods. Now, Say it with some sass. Come on, like, sit, look at them and say, no other gods, no other gods before God. He says, you'll have no other gods before me. He says in verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. When I was a kid, I, I watched the Karate Kid. You know, I don't know if you ever watched it. Hands up if you watched it. You watch the Karate Kid. You can put it in the comments. And, and I watched that movie and I thought, this is awesome. I need to learn how to do karate. I want to learn how to do what I saw in the movie. So I remember my brothers, they felt the same way. So we decided that we were going to find like a karate dojo and, and, and start to learn. So we, we did some research and mom took us to this place to learn karate and we met our sensei and he was a great guy, really nice guy. And then he said, all right, we'll just, you know, come and join in this class and then we can talk about it afterwards and just do what I tell you to do. We say, great. So we go in to learn karate and the first thing that we do is he says, I want everybody to get on their knees. So we all get on our knees. And then he says, all right, now I want you to bow. And so everybody bows. Now, I, I understand that in karate, it's just like a respect thing, right? So, so everyone bows. You know, he's out of Japan. They bow in Japan. So here we are learning karate. It's the first class. And my mom sees all three of her kids bowing down, right? And my mom saw that. We finished the class and my mom was like, nope, not my kids. They will not be bowing down. I don't like what I see here. Look at them bowing down. She just didn't feel right about it. That was the last time we ever went and did karate at that place. We had to start to look for one where we wouldn't bow down in such the same way. Now, I don't know if you have a mom like that. Maybe you don't, but, but some of you, you did. I don't know if you had a mom that just cared so much about you that they decided to put in a lot of boundaries in your life and not let you do some things and, and, and you know, wouldn't let you uh, go to some places or maybe they were more concerned about some of the friends that you had, but they put all these things, these guards maybe in your life. And, and you know, when I was a kid growing up, I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. And, and, and I was uh, annoyed by it. And, you know, when we were kids growing up, my mom was so strict. There were, there were shows that we weren't allowed to watch. You know, like I'd get home from school and we'd put on the TV and, and there were certain shows that we couldn't watch. Like, like you know, um, 
there was this show about all of these 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 bears that were jumping everywhere and they had and they had like this magic potion. As soon as my mom saw magic, she was like, oh no, there's, there'll be no magic in this house, you know, so she'd cut it out. Well, I thought it was crazy back then. Now I'm a dad and I'm kind of crazy too. And, and, and there are things that I won't let my kids do and there are things that I won't let my kids watch and, and I care about what's on in our house and all the same stuff. Now my mom... She understood something then that I didn't understand at the time. I now understand it as a dad, but, but she understood something. And here's, it, here's what it is. You need to be careful what you bow down to. You need to be careful what you bow down to. God created people for worship. Like, it's just etched into the fabric of our being. It's just who we are. We are are wired. We are conditioned. It's in our DNA. We are wired to do worship. It's how we live. And worship is the awed response directed towards the affection of your heart. It's the awed response directed towards the affection of your heart. Now, I just want to clear a little something up today. Some of you might be watching this and you think, oh, this is great. Like, I don't even need to watch this message, you know, because I don't have idols in my life. I mean, I'm not putting little things around the house and I'm not bowing down to it. I I don't live life like that. I I don't do that. Well, hang on a minute. Because one of the things that I've learned is you don't need to bow down physically to worship something. In fact, the truth is you can bow down with your mind You can bow down with your emotions. You can bow down spiritually, of course. You can bow down mentally. In fact, to the outside, you don't have to physically do anything, but there's a lot that's happening in your life. And maybe somewhere in your life, you've been bowing down in areas that you know are probably not right. Or maybe for you, you don't even realize that you're doing it. And sometimes that's even worse. People do this. Let me show you what I mean. There are three basic ways that we view creation. I want to just show you how it works. So for some people, they are creationists. So what do we believe, right? We're theists. Theists believe that the material universe was created what we call ex nihilio which means that God created the whole earth and everything out of nothing. There was nothing and then He made everything. And our odd response to the God who has revealed Himself in the Scriptures, who told us that He created the world out of nothing, our our response to that is to worship Him. And so we do. And then you have pantheists. And they believe that the material universe arose what they call ex Deo, which means it arose out of God. And they think that God is in everything. So you know what you find pantheist people doing? They worship creation because everything is God. God is in everything. And so they worship creation itself. And then you have other people that are materialists and they don't believe in creation at all. They think to believe in creation is crazy. They believe the material universe was ex materia, which means that the material universe was created from matter. So there was something and then it exploded and it created more of whatever something was and then it became something. And so what are they? they? They worship science. 
And so we have an odd response and based on what we are in awe of and the affections of our heart, we just naturally tend to find that we worship it. This is what happens to people. You can worship anything. And I tell you, worship is only limited by the affections of your heart. So, so in many ways, your worship is actually unlimited. You can worship whatever your heart loves. And, and, and the categories are endless. So we live in Australia. And maybe the thing that we worship in Australia that some people do is actually football. It's like all they wait for. It's, it's the thing that they love the most. They just get through the working week and then the footy's on and that's their savior for, for, for the whole week, right? They just look forward to that. It's, it's, it's the AFL. Or maybe you, you come from Queensland and New South Wales, Wales and for you it's the NRL. I, I don't know, but, but maybe it's football. I mean, you can literally worship anything. You can worship bands. You can worship movie stars. You can worship anything that you want, whatever your heart really loves. Now, if you understand Israel's history, you would know that they had a lot of trouble with worshiping idols. They had a lot of trouble with worshiping idols. In fact, in ancient times, if you wanted things to go well for you, then you would worship the God of the land that you were in. And if you were to please the God of the land that you were in, then you'd be assured safety and security and everything would go well for you and the rain would fall and your crops would be blessed and you would have food and shelter. And so you just got to please the God of the land. Well, when Israel was led out of Egypt by God, God said, I'm going to give you the promised land. And it sounds very exciting. The only challenge was that people were actually living in that space at the time. And so there were people already there. Now, God said, I give you the promised land, but you're going to have to get the people that are in the land out of it. And God didn't mince his words. He actually used Israel as a tool in one regard to clear the land of people that were constantly worshiping demonic deities. And he said, when you go in and you take over the city, you need to completely eradicate it. So, so just destroy everything. And, and they said, yeah, yeah, we, we get it. Only they didn't do it. And often what Israel would do is they would get close to doing the job, but there were many generations where they didn't do the whole job. They, they allowed some of the people to live in the land. And if you read the scriptures and you'd see this over and over and just read the book of Judges, you'll notice something that as they allowed those people to be in the land, those people began to exert a degree of influence over the Israelite people. And now as you start to read on, you see that some of the Israelite people were persuaded from worshiping the God that had led them out of Egypt, the one who had parted the Red Sea, who had done all the miracles. And they started to think, well, maybe if we want things to go well for us in this land, we've just got to worship some of the pagan deities that are here. And so that's what they started to do. And it began to shift Israel's heart. They used, their hearts were changed and they started to worship things that in the beginning they knew they should never worship. Now, God was unimaginably clear about this. What did He say when He gave the Ten Commandments, the first two? In the first commandment, he said, you shall have no other gods. 
That was simple. You even said it out loud just before. Everyone understands that. Then the second commandment, he says, you shall have no, he's not saying that you shouldn't have any alternative gods because, I mean, the first commandment really covered all of that. When he gave the second commandment, which is that you shall not make for yourself a carved image, when he said that, what he was really saying is, you shall not worship me in a false way. I don't want you to create anything that you think represents me. Because if you start to create a carved image and, and you say that that's what I am, you're worshiping me in a false way and, and you're not going to do it. Now, here is what happened when Moses was literally getting the Ten Commandments from God. So to set the scene for you, Moses is up the mountain. God is giving him the Ten Commandments. Joshua is down further down the mountain, but aware of what's going up on, on the top of the mountain. And he can hear some noise from the camp. Back down in the camp is Aaron. And, and here is Aaron speaking to all of the people, the Israelite people. And they start to say to him, hey, we want a, 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 a God to worship. Give us, give us something. Like we need an object. We need something to direct our affection and our attention to, right? And I want to read to you this scenario as it plays out. This is so hilarious. Exodus 32, 21, it says, And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let anyone who has gold or have gold, take it off. And they gave it to me. Now, this is the funny part. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. That, that's probably the biggest abdication of leadership responsibility that you'll ever see anywhere. I just asked for the gold, Moses. And they gave me the gold and I just threw it into the fire and out rolled a golden calf. It wasn't me. I mean, can you imagine? You would need to really craft this, this thing. I mean, this is going to take some, a blacksmith to do some work. You've got you to shape it. You've got to make it. You've got to mold it. He says, oh, and I, I just threw it in. Out rolled the calf. You know, it's not, it's not really my fault. I remember coming home in the car once. My daughter was sitting in the back seat. We pulled into the garage. And I opened the door to get her out. And there she is with a crayon in her hand. I looked at the back of my seat and she had drawn all over it. There's marks all over it. And I said to her, what have you done? And she looked at me, she said, I didn't do it. I, I didn't do it. I, I didn't draw it out. I'm like, sweetheart, sweetheart, you're the only one in the car. You absolutely did it. She's like, oh, no, it wasn't me. This, this, this is the Aaron equivalent. Oh, no, it wasn't me. I just, I mean, I just threw the gold into the fire. It wasn't me. The calf just rolled out the other side, you know? Like, I can't believe that he was trying to get away with this. I read a book a number of years ago because I wanted to understand a little bit more about this passage. And for many years, you know what I thought? I thought, why would Aaron make a golden calf idol when he knows that God 
was the one that rescued them and took them out of Egypt. Like, they, they, he was there. He saw the Red Sea, the pillar of fire. They, they'd been through a lot together, you know? Like, why would he make a, an idol as something that was separate to God? So I read this book by J.I. Packer, and I only mention it because every Christian should read this book called Knowing God just once in your life. You should read it. Go buy it. It will help you. I read this part on this passage, and J.I. Packer says this. He says, it wasn't another God. They tried to create an, a, an idol in the image of the God that they served. And, and God said, you cannot do that. Because the moment that you make anything that you think represents me, it will obscure some part of my glory. If, if you think that I am the golden calf, right, then you're going to limit me to what that golden calf is. And his whole point to them was, I am limitless. I'm beyond your comprehension. Don't make anything that you think will symbolize me because the moment you make something that symbolizes me is the moment you start to obscure some of my glory. But they needed something physical. They said, we want something physical. We've seen other people have got it. We want that too. You see, God understood that people were predisposed to worship and that's why he gave them guides because he knew what you need to know. And here it is, whatever you worship, that is your God. And if it's material, it's an idol. It's that simple. Whatever you worship, that is your God. If it's material, it's an idol. And I mention this because there are so many people who have idols in their lives. And sure, they don't have a carved image, but even Christian people have idols in their lives. Things that are grabbing their attention, things that they direct their affections towards. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He said, an idol is anything in our lives that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. Anything that is central in my life, anything that seems to me essential. An idol is anything by which I live and on which I depend. Anything that holds such a controlling position in my life. It moves and rouses and attracts so much of my time and attention, my energy and my money. You can make a false God without even trying. You can make your own God without even trying. It just happens. It just naturally forms in your life. In fact, the truth is you might already have one. And maybe this is the first time that you've realized that you've got it in your life, but there it is. And, and if you want to know what it is, if you want to discover, if you actually do have some, something in your life that shouldn't be there, a, 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 an idol, or, or you've made a God out of something in your own life, right? You just need to ask yourself this question. What is the one thing that I could not live without? And if you point to anything and it's not God, it could be an idol. What is the one thing that if I just had this one thing, 
everything would be okay. See, there, there's this tension in our heart. And you got, you got to understand, the heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart will lie to you at times and your heart will say to you at different points that if you just had this one thing, that everything would be okay. And I don't know what the one thing is that matters most to you more than anything else in the world. But maybe for you, the one thing that matters most is money. And you wouldn't say that you worship money. It's just that you care a lot about it. And you know that if you had enough of it, that all your problems would be solved. Well, that could be a problem for you. Because I guarantee you this, you could be the richest person in the world, but all your problems won't be solved. You say, if I, if I just had this job, if I had this job, everything would be okay. You know, the, the one thing that I want more than anything else, it's all I've ever wanted was just a car. If I just had this car, like I feel like much of the things that I'm frustrated by right now that it would go away. And some of these things are obviously crazy, right? But there are some other things that just creep into our hearts. Some things that are harder to discern. Like if I just had this job, then my money problems would go away and I'd be employed and I would grow and I would develop and I could buy the house and I could use the resource that I've got to fill, fulfill all the other needs that I've got in my life and I could be generous towards the house of God and I could make all of these other problems disappear. The job becomes the thing that saves you. It's the thing that you care most about in the world and your heart tells you that's what you need more than anything. And the moment that you believe that, now you've got an idol. The moment that you believe that, you're making a God out of something that you're not supposed to make a God out of. Matthew 6.21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did you get that? Did you see that? Did you notice that it said, if you want to find your heart, which a lot of people have trouble locating, if you want to find your heart, find your treasure. And when you find your treasure, you can be assured that your heart will be with it. The thing that you treasure most, the thing that you love most, the thing that you care about most is the same thing that has your heart. This is what Jesus was saying. See, for some people, the thing that they care about most, it is their career. And they sacrifice other important and meaningful things, sometimes more important things because the career is the thing that matters most. There have been plenty of people the world over who have sacrificed relationships, maybe even their kids' lives. Like they haven't been around and investing in their children's lives. They haven't been available for their kids because their career just absorbed them completely. And it was so important at the time and it mattered so much at the time. But when you, when you start to look at it and, and, and you start to grow up, I think that there would be a lot of people that would be filled with regret that their career absorbed so much of them. And I don't know what it is about this thing sometimes, people's careers, but sometimes it's, it's just that they want to be successful and success itself can become its own God. Like, like if I make it, if I, if I get there, or, or maybe the best thing that I can do for my family is to be successful successful and in business and, and, and if I provide them with wealth and resource and shelter and meet their needs then that's what they need when really all the kids wanted was you but the problem was you had an idol in your life it was your own success and you sacrificed too many things to get something that you shouldn't 
I've already said that for some people, it's an amount of money. For some, it's, it's intangible. It's, it's, it's not as obvious. It's like they just like the power or maybe it's authority and they, and they sacrifice other things to go over that. You know, for some, it's the reverse. It's like their kids are the things that they care so much about that they sacrifice everything else for. Now, it sounds okay on the surface. But there are some people that care so much about the affection of their kids that their kids become like their little gods. As long as the kids love me, as long as the kids approve of me, right? I'm going to do everything I can to make them love me, right? So, so what do you do? You end up bowing down to the wishes of your kids only to the detriment of their personal growth because they didn't learn some things they were supposed to learn as they were growing up. And my point is simply this, is that there is, there is a myriad of things. It's, it's, the categories are limitless. There are so many things that can get your heart. Maybe it's church. I mean, like if for me as a pastor, if I care so much about this church and, and everything that's going on, and I invest all of my energy and my attention into church without having any time and attention with God, this very thing called church could be the thing that I worship. The moment church becomes more important to me than God becomes more important to me is the moment I've made an idol out of something that was meant to glorify Him and He's not the problem and church is not the problem. It's the affection of my heart. If the affection of my heart is geared towards all these things that make me look successful, then maybe church is simply the vehicle through which I want to achieve things and then I've made a false idol out of it. See, even things that are good can become things that are wrong in that instance, in that circumstance. Maybe it's a relationship. Look, if you're single and, 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 and you really don't want to be single, I get it and I understand it, but don't make a, a, an idol out of your crush or a relationship or something like that because I promise you, you only set yourself up for disappointment. The number one thing more important than anything else is meant to be God in your life. I remember a friend of mine years ago, we're in our early 20s, and a friend of mine had this crush on this girl. And so in his own crazy way, he thought, well, if I, like physically, if I was to look fitter and you know, a little bit sharper, maybe if I had some abs and all the rest of it, if I, if I look right, then she'll be feeling like she's missing out on something and, and, and I can get what I want. So what he did is he made the gym his God. He, he, he sacrificed relationships with his friends, social life. Oh, we could not contact this guy. He was working out in the gym all the time because he said, if I can just get my body to the place where I want it to be, if my physical beauty becomes, uh, uh, you know, get it to the place where I want it to be, she won't be able to resist me, right? The gym became his God. It was where he spent all of his time, where he gave all of his energy, all of his focus, all of his attention. And I'm telling you, this is a terrible mistake to make. The fact is, is that even for professional athletes, when they retire from sports, and you can look at this yourself, but when they retire from sports, they often have to undergo therapy because they don't know how to deal with a life where they don't have the accolades of people. They just can't adjust to normality. See, it's the thing that they, they struggle to live without. It was the thing that was filling the void in their heart. 
The accolades was the thing that they wanted more than anything else, and it becomes an idol. Idols are tools through which we work our own desires. In fact, they become our salvation. See, all the things that I'm talking about, and you think about it, I'm talking about jobs and, and, and careers and kids and, and gym and all of this stuff. None of it's wrong. It's all good things, right? It's just the imbalance of affection that you have towards it. Keller says this, when good things become the only thing, you know you've got a problem. Your identity gets attached to things all the time. And you say, I'd be fine. I'm okay. What if you lost your job? Does your identity go with it too? The moment you lose your job and your entire identity falls apart in that moment is the moment you realize you probably put too much of your identity into something that could simply be taken from you. How much of you is wrapped up in what you do? When you measure the wrong things, you can easily make a God out of them. But I want to tell you something very important today. An idol will always leave you disappointed. An idol will always leave you disappointed. I often say that if you got it here, you know, planet Earth, if you got it here, you could lose it here. doesn't matter what it is. That's why when it comes to your identity, you need to attach it to something that's out of this world. You need to give your heart to something that could never be taken from you. I said, the only thing that you can really give your heart to is Jesus. It's the gospel. The gospel is the most encouraging message you'll ever hear, that God would forgive you of all of your sins, that He would love you. You can lose money here. You can lose success. You can lose power. Your crush could actually leave you. And then then what? What do you do? I always say this at weddings. I always say, You should never marry your spouse for physical beauty. Because physical beauty, it changes. Newsflash. People get older. You're supposed to grow old. Don't fall in love with the young version of anything and what it looks like. You know, if you've ever been to a wedding that I've done, and, and, and some people have, I often like to refer to this, this one song. Ed Sheeran wrote this song as, as a hit. The song was, I'm in love with the shape of you. You know, and you probably know the song. Like, so the problem with that song is, and I thought, that's a cute song, Ed. That's beautiful. I'm in love with the shape of you. But that's the dumbest thing that you could ever say because that shape is going to change. And if you fall in love with something that's going to shift and something that's going to change, what happens then? What happens to the relationship years later when that shape has changed? Has your love gone too? See, you got to make sure that you give your heart to the right things. you got to make sure that you love the right things. By the way, just a, just a side note, right? Recent research has suggested that the abs and the muscles and all of that, that that is actually not what 
what women find most attractive. In fact, they think that the dad bod is so much better. The dad bod is a more relaxed version of what it looked like in its 20s. I don't know if it works the same way for men and women, but I'm just telling you, hey, it's just the stats. It's just what the information tells us, right? But, but my point is all the same, right? It doesn't matter what the body looks like. You got to make sure you give your heart to the right things. I think it's possible that God will even at different points strip some things from you because sometimes it's only in crisis that the idol is revealed. It's not till it's taken away that you suddenly realize it was the thing that occupied most of your heart. And when you lose it, you say, I can't live without it. And the moment you say that, it's the moment you instantly realize you had an idol in your life. Something you cared way too much about. Something that you gave your heart to that you weren't supposed to. Idols don't love you. They don't care for you. But there is one who does. He made you. He knows you. He loves you. And the Bible says that He gave His life for you. His name is Jesus. And He is the only one that you should make a God out of. He's the only one that you should worship as God. He's the only one that you should give all of your heart and, and affection and attention to. And, and you know what? Jesus says that, you, that He'll never be taken from you. He says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. There's never a moment that you'll be without me. In fact, there is nothing on earth, material or immaterial or spiritual, there's nothing on earth that compares to God. The God of the Bible, He is the only one that's worthy of our praise and our worship. And so I just want to ask you a question today. What do you care about so much? What are you currently just obsessing over that you think is so important to you? It matters so much. Come on, it's, it's occupying your thoughts day and night. You can't seem to sleep. You, you, you can't let go. You you think if you just had this one thing that everything would be okay. What's the thing that's got your affection? That sits on the seat of your heart? Man, this is what you got to do. You, you got to do an audit of your soul. Just, just, just do some inward reflection. And look in, in your heart and, and do an audit and say to yourself, come on, where, where is the imbalance? Where is the thing... It's not God that I love too much. And if you do, you realize suddenly your heart is out of alignment. And you are headed straight for disappointment. The thing is, it doesn't need to be that way. In fact, even today, whatever imbalances in your heart right now, wherever you are, However you get this message, wherever you're listening to this, you can make a shift right now. You can make a change. It doesn't have to be like this. You can say, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a conscious declaration and decision in this moment that whatever has been too important to me is going to get 
kicked off the throne of my heart. I'm not listening to this anymore. It's not going to occupy my mind anymore. It's, I'm not going to give my energy, my resource, my focus, my attention to any of those things because I realize that the one thing that means the most to me now that I've been challenged, now, now that the question has been posed to me, is the one thing that I cannot live without. And it's to have a relationship with the God above all gods, the King above all kings, the one that loves you, who died for you, that will love you back, that will never leave you, that will never forsake you. He is the one that can only do the most important thing for you, which is to forgive you of every single wrong thing that you've ever done in your life. He is the most important thing, the only thing that you are ever asked to worship. Come on, wherever you are today, maybe you're a Christian and you suddenly realize there are some things that you've been thinking way too much about. You're obsessing over that renovation on your house right now. You're constantly redecorating the room, but your relationship with Jesus is just dwindling. It's time to put Him back in His right place. It's time to worship the one that's supposed to be worshipped. You make that decision right now. You hear? You're not a Christian. You've never given your heart or your life to Jesus. Today is the day to put Him on the throne of your heart, to say, I don't want anything else. I want to have Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. It's Him above everything. Come on, why don't you say that right now? It is Him above everything. It is Jesus above all else. It's always Him. It's only Him. He's the only one that you're supposed to worship and right now I'm going to pray and I want to pray with you and I want to pray that right now Christian or non-Christian every single person says Jesus you're the only one I worship and I'm going to give you my heart today maybe it's a recommitment maybe it's the first time you've made this decision but you say I, I'm, I'm coming back Jesus, you're number one in my life. So why don't we do this? Let's, let's just pray, all of us together. Dear Jesus, come on, you can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you died on the cross for my sins. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. And I choose to put you first. You are number one in my life sit on the throne of my heart and I will follow you every day for the rest of my life in Jesus name and everyone said Amen Hey thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast we hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services so to connect further with us head over to brightchurch.com